seated. And turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 31. In our sermon series on Proverbs, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Times, we've been looking topically at a number of subjects throughout the book of Proverbs that are repeated again and again. And here we've reached Proverbs 31 with the capstone on wisdom in marriage. Wisdom in marriage is something that many people need, and this person in the pulpit needs as much as anyone else. And so, the look at uh, Proverbs, we've been led to this point where we're finally at the, the capstone or the epilogue, and it's closing with these words. At the beginning of the chapter says, the words of King Lemuel, the oracle that his mother taught him. It's interesting, we don't know who King Lemuel is. Uh, we don't know the chapter before who uh, the king of uh, Agur, the son of Jacka, the oracle. It's uh, a mystery to us, but these words have uh, been inscripturated and inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they're for us. It's interesting to note that it's the mother speaking to her son an oracle. Uh, some warnings. In the first nine verses, we have some warnings against as a ruler, as a, as a, a future king yourself. The mother says, uh, be careful of giving your strength to women, to uh, strong drink, and be wise in your ways. And then it seems in verse 10 that there's a, a switch. Uh, someone observed that in verse 10, the language moves from being prescriptive, the commands to follow, to being descriptive, presenting a picture to look at. The son now makes his hypothetical woman the subject of his prolonged detailed study, the Proverbs 31 woman. His attention is drawn to her trustworthiness, her resourcefulness, her strength, her charity, her wisdom, her practical knowledge and skills. His attention is spe specifically drawn to how this woman's character benefits her children, her household, society, and repeatedly her husband. This section that we'll be looking at, verses 10 through 31, is an acrostic poem. It takes the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet and begins each line with a, connect, a consecutive next letter. Uh, this maybe allows for ease in memorizing this section, although it doesn't do us much good in Hebrew for memorization, but it also can signify um, the A to Z uh, nature of things, the completeness or the fullness of whatever is being discussed. It's not the only acrostic psalm or proverb, but this one is, uh, is, a, is a key one. And it's not A to Z in the sense that it's completely exhaustive. The idealized picture of this woman, um, you know, doesn't pray and read her Bible. So, she's probably not uh, the perfect biblical woman. In fact, uh, she doesn't even give her husband a kiss. So, I don't know how she could be the idealized perfect woman. But a lot of um, energy has been spent in looking at this chapter as something only for women, that it's addressed to women. But I believe it's actually addressed to the son in the very beginning of the chapter, as the whole book of Proverbs is applied to um, my son and, and, and exhortations to him. But as we look at this through the son's eyes, from his perspective, uh, one commentator says, um, reading Proverbs 31 with a blue lens 
changes the message from achieve excellence as a wife and your husband will reward you with praise to a lesson on love. We watch the excellent wife through the eyes of her husband's active admiration and esteem. Let's look at Proverbs 31 maybe with a little different uh, lens in focusing on how this perspective of the writing to the son helps to shape our understanding. Follow along as I read Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchants. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is still night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands to hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, and she delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are in her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the way of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we approach this portion of your word today, I pray that as you do week by week, day by day, feed and strengthen us with the word. Uh, reorient our minds from the confusing messages that we hear all around us, from the lies and the falsehoods that are put before us, and help us to see the pure truth of Your Word. Help us to be informed by and then enabled to live by what we read today. Lord, we know that in our own strength we can never do what Your Word calls us to do but by your pow the power of your Holy Spirit indwelling us, we are more than conquerors. We are able to do above and beyond what we could do. Lord, we pray that you would receive glory today as we seek to orient our lives by your word. We pray that you would do this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So in looking at this chapter for Wisdom on Marriage, I did a quick Google search of a Proverbs 31 woman. And boy, did I come up with a lot of stuff. A lot has been written about Proverbs 31. Blogs, de devotionals, books, ladies' Bible studies, entire programs written. And as I 
read over uh, a lot of the uh, titles, I found it interesting, the perspective that was there. Ten virtues of the Proverbs 31 woman. Secrets of becoming a Proverbs 31 woman. Becoming a modern Proverbs 31 woman. 21 days to becoming a Proverbs 31 woman. That's the fast track, I think. How to manage your life like a Proverbs 31 woman. The complete Proverbs 31 woman. How to find strength as a Proverbs 31 woman. I think you need a lot of strength because this woman is amazing and does so much and it's hard to fathom that any one individual could measure up to everything that you see there. Now, if you wanted to go and get some of the merchandise associated with a Proverbs 31 woman, there are t-shirts, there are hats, there's tote bags, bracelets, necklaces, rings, earrings, mugs, wall art, and even decorator pillows. Proverbs 31 woman is all over the place. And I think if you look for Proverbs 31 as being the only place where you're going to find about biblical womanhood, you're missing out on so much else in Scripture. You know, I would say that Judges 4 and 5 woman would be a great um, model for us. You remember the story of J.L.? Ladies, that's a good name for a girl if you're going to have a, a baby anytime soon. Uh, J.L. was the one who delivered God's people from the wicked king Sisera by taking a tent peg and crushing his through his skull. That's biblical womanhood. At sometimes, that's called for. I heard somebody say, when I, want, when I say I want a biblical wife, what people think I mean is I want a wife who is passive and subservient. What I really want is a wife who is totally willing to drive a tent spike into a tyrant's head should the opportunity arise. So if you can't handle me at my judges four and five, you don't deserve me at my Proverbs 31. So let's look at Proverbs 31 and use an entire biblical mindset towards what this is saying, not just about the woman. I think this is actually helping the husband to be the husband that God wants him to be by giving him a portrait or a picture of what the excellent wife is to be. So, first let's see this husband who fears the Lord, and we're going to see that in verses 10 and 11, words for the husband. We're going to see that in verse 23, verses 28 and 29. But first, verse 10 and 11 an excellent wife who can find. She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he'll have no lack of gain. So when the husband, the son, looks at the ideal wife, when he sees her, what does he see? He sees an excellent woman. What does that mean? In other translations, virtuous, noble, valiant, truly good, capable, worthy, diligent. You know, when a husband sees that in his wife, when he sees these traits in his wife, he rejoices. He's found a good thing. In fact, the next verse says that it's rare um, in the, an excellent wife who can find. It's, there's not one around every corner. She's far more precious than jewels. A husband who fears the Lord has to see his wife as precious 
It's also translated valuable or worthy. Her value far exceeds the finest jewels. Having an excellent wife is precious. The husband also trusts her. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He depends on her. He has confidence in her. He confides in her. He fully trusts and he safely trusts his wife. That's something that that demonstrates love and commitment when you can have confidence in your wife. And then she prospers. And the husband will have no lack of gain. He can see that she provides, she helps, she works. What she does enriches their life. This is what an excellent wife is to this husband. And he should acknowledge that. He should see that. And in fact, what it does for him, how this benefits him, we can see in verse 23, her husband is known at the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. So the gates of the city were where the rulers and the elders gathered together and they heard cases. They, they basically conducted the leading of the people through at that location. And so when he's there and he sits among the elders of the land, he is known there. And he can be involved and in serving the people that way because his wife is so capably caring for him, the household, and everything else. You know, behind every great man is a great woman. That woman is helping him to, to use his gifts and his calling in the way that um, God's designed him to. In the, Kyle and Dalich's commentary about this uh, being known at the gates, um, he says, she advances the estimation and the respect in which her husband is held. They know that this is a good man because this is a good woman. Look at verse 28 and 29. When her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also. He praises her. And this is what he says. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. I mean, in his opinion, in his, from his perspective, she's the best. She's excellent. She's worthy. And so he lets people know. He praises her. And I think the fact that his children praise is reflective of his doing it himself, setting the example of blessing their mother. You can tell a lot about the way that a husband is treating his wife by the way their children treat their mother. He and his children praise her. He, he's an encourager. A husband who, honor, who fears the Lord is an encourager, one who honors, blesses, and appreciates. He doesn't belittle and talk down to and demean. It's just the opposite. He thinks so much of her and builds her up. So, this husband who fears the Lord is a servant leader. He is, in fact, what Christ modeled for us in his leadership and loving nurture. One commentator pointed out that Proverbs 31 man is more like, more than a neat way to go about husbanding. It's the way of Christ. He rejoices over his bride. He encourages us, walks with us. He fills us with His Spirit. Jesus Christ is the Proverbs 30 man, 31 man in the flesh. Let's draw near to Him and He will draw near to us. And then we and the homes we lead will never be the same. So in light of that, consider what Ephesians 5 says, a section that Pastor Tony is going to get to right after Advent. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is what we see modeled in Proverbs 31, the Proverbs 31 man. Now let's look at the Proverbs 31 woman, the wife who fears the Lord. Verse 12 starts that section where it gives the general principle of what she does, and then verses 13 to 29 show specifically and practically how that works its way out in the real world. What does she do? Verse 12, she does him good and not harm all the days of her life. It sounds simple, but it's pretty profound. Does good, but not harm. She's always building up instead of tearing down. And she's committed to doing this all the days of her life. As many days as the Lord gives her, she's committed to it. Now, this picture in the verses to follow is really a domestic diva of the ancient world. And hopefully it expands your understanding and your expectations of what can and could, should be accomplished and um, done in the realm of being a wife, being a woman of God, and what value and influence that she can have not just on her children and on her husband, but it spills over into her church and her community. So, verse 13, she seeks wool and flax and works it with willing hands. Um, she's willing to work with her hands, probably sewing and uh, working with textiles, but she's not afraid to get her hands dirty. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She has a variety of foods that she supplies for her family. And, and she, verse 15, rises while it's still night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. So she's up before it gets light. O dark 30 is when she starts her day and she's working to provide and get food ready. In verse 16, though, it's beyond the household. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She is working uh, her own business and um, realty. Um, she dresses herself, verse 17, with strength, with strength, and she makes her arms strong. I don't think she goes to the gym. I think she's probably her work in the vineyard that is really strengthening her. She perceives that merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. So she starts at dark, and she has to light a lamp to keep going into the night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. That word distaff is a little confusing. It's only used here in the Hebrew Old Testament, and we think it means something that goes along with the spindle to repair clothes and mending. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not just consumed with 
her own household, but she's able to overflow into helping out the poor and needy. And she's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her households are clothed, all in her household are clothed in scarlet. She has warm clothes. She has beautiful clothes. In verse 22, she makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. This is probably a woman of nobility, someone who is uh, in this uh, elite class of uh, people. Her husband is known in the gates. He sits among the elders of the land. Her, her husband is a leader, a ruler. She makes linen garments and sells them, and she delivers sashes to the merchant. She has her business that she, she works with, and strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. I don't think that just means she has a, a sense of humor, but rather when she sees um, hardship or difficulties to come, she doesn't bother her. She's able to roll with it. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She's able to speak with kindness and with wisdom. She looks to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She's busy all the time. And her children rise up and call her blessed, and her husband also, and he praises her. This is what we see in this idealized woman. Now, any one individual wife is not going to have all these traits together. I hope you're not just like, oh, I give up. There's, there's no way that I could be this woman. I hope you'd see it somewhat like the spiritual gifts that God gives to the church, right? There are a variety of gifts and abilities, and no one individual has all the spiritual gifts. But there are aptitudes, and there are abilities, and there's things that she works at. And maybe it's just to give you an overall picture of some of the areas and some of the opportunities that you could pursue. Verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This charm and beauty is just kind of the surface level. It's just um, what is on the outside and the exterior. It's not what's really in the heart. And beauty is something that in, elsewhere in Proverbs, Proverbs 11:22, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. If you don't have the character and the wisdom and the discretion inside, no matter what's on the outside, it's not beautiful. It's not truly beautiful. It's deceitful. Remember in 1 Samuel 16 when Samuel is called to pick the next king of Israel and all of Jesse's sons are before him, replacing Saul who was a big tall person. Of course, he's looking for the strongest and the oldest, and everything on the outside points to Jesse's oldest son until God says differently. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on his height or stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Boy, does man look on the outward appearance? Is there so much pressure and stress placed on beauty and anti-aging and care products, procedures, operations to hold on to this thing that is fleety, van vanity? We need to see what is truly important, what really matters. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So what is this about the fear of the Lord? 
Well, remember this. The theme of the book way back from chapter 1, verse 7, was the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This is where it all starts. This is essential to our life and our character. It's described this way by David Hubbard in his commentary. Um, The fear is best understood as reverent obedience. Although it includes worship, it does not end there. It radiates out from our adoration and devotion to our everyday conduct that sees each moment as the Lord's time, each relationship as the Lord's opportunity, each duty as the Lord's command, each blessing as the Lord's gift. It's a new way of looking at life and seeing what it, what it is meant to be when viewed from God's perspective. That's foundational to having an understanding of the fear of the Lord, that the Lord is present in all places, that the Lord is there, and that He is to be feared. It's having this uh, quorum deo view, this living every day before the face of God. And having that view transforms the way that you live as a husband, the way that you live as a wife. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says, the end, this is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, you remember Proverbs, in repeating this phrase, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the word Lord that is used there is the covenant name for God. This is Yahweh. Uh, Robert Rayburn, Rayburn rightly directs our attention to Jesus. But who is the Lord whom we are to fear? Whose fear is the foundation of all true godly living? And who is the Lord we are to trust? Interrogate the Bible, and the answer to that question comes back. The Lord of Proverbs, as the rest of the Old Testament, is Jesus Christ, God the Son, who later became incarnate as Jesus of Nazareth. This points us to the Lord Jesus. This points us to having a fear of the Lord that ends in Jesus Christ. When you live out of the fear of the Lord, Jesus is the center of your life. That's why this isn't just wisdom for marriage and individual husbands and wives. This is for all sorts of people. It's for everyone who's single, divorced, widowed, or whatever your status is. You can live as a man or a woman or a boy or a girl that fears the Lord that's growing in the fear of the Lord and is maturing and deepening as Jesus is the center of your life. It's not something we do in our own strength. It's not something that is just a list of uh, what to do. It's something that flows through the Holy Spirit's power in our life, transforming us by His grace. This is an outflow of the gospel that is at work in our lives. So, Jesus being the center of your life transforms things. I, I use a book for premarital counseling called Tying the Knot, and in this book, Rob Green takes this foundational concept of Jesus as the center of your life as the future husband and as the future wife and says that's most important. Jesus says you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. The seconds like it to love your neighbor as yourself. It starts, though, with loving the Lord, fearing the Lord. Jesus has a center. And then he goes on to unfold that marriage means practicing love with Jesus as the center. It means practicing stewardship 
with Jesus at the center. It means intimacy with Jesus as the center. It means community with Jesus as the center. All the facets and aspects of our marriage have to be grounded, have to be focused on Jesus being the center of our lives. That's really what it means to live with the fear of the Lord in your life. Focus on your love for Christ when you're frustrated with your spouse. That's living with Jesus at the center. Focus on your completeness in Christ when you're tempted to expect your wife or your husband to fill your love tank. Focus on your security in Christ when things are rocky in your marriage. Fear the Lord, not other people's criticism. Live for Christ in His glory, not for your own pride or your comfort or control or status. This is what it means to practice wisdom in marriage. This is what it means to be a man or a woman that fears the Lord. We need to see Jesus as the center of our marriages, at the center of our lives. And I've seen this in my own marriage, and I've seen this in marriages, that as we focus on Christ and what He has done and who He is in our individual lives, and we start to share what's most important with us, with our spouse, we start to grow closer together because what's most important to you, who's at the center of your life, is at the center of your spouse's life. Sometimes working on fixing things and making things better and repairing things becomes too horizontal. It starts with seeing Jesus as the center of your life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to pray for the marriages in our congregation, those who are anticipating marriage, uh, those who have been previously married. For each one of us, wherever we're at, Lord, we pray, I want to pray that we would grow in the fear of the Lord. Uh, Lord, that you would be so consuming and central to our lives that we would be transformed in our outlook, that we wouldn't uh, be bogged down in the drudgery and uh, complain about the imperfections, but that we would be invigorated and encouraged to live our lives for your glory and for your honor. Lord, we know that our purpose and our design is to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. Lord, I pray, I pray that even now that our marriages would glorify you and that we would enjoy you and our spouse for as many days as you give us. Lord, we thank you for that promise of your word that you who began a good work in us will see it to completion even to the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, this is our prayer. We trust that you will hear us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.